We're at Build, Microsoft Build 2017. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of five to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a live JavaScript Jabber. Well, live-ish. We're at Build, Microsoft Build 2017. AJ is also here on our panel. Always coming at you live. That's right. Now I can actually see you in person. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have two guests. We have Ramya Rao. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Hey, uh, my name is Ramya. I am in the Visual Studio Code team at Microsoft, and I'm psyched to be here. Awesome. And we also have Wade Anderson, who's been on the show before, last year at Build. Yeah, last year at Build. Um, had enough fun, I decided to come back. And, well, was excited to be invited to come back. I also work on the Visual Studio Code team. Awesome. And yeah, we're going to talk about Visual Studio Code. We've, we've ha- kind of had Visual Studio Code discussions a few times on the show. We talked to Chris Diaz at Microsoft Connect in November. And so I don't know that we necessarily need a long introduction as to what it is. But do you want to kind of give the two-minute elevator pitch, one of you, as, to fa- as far as what it is for people who are new to the show and just haven't heard those interviews? Yeah, yeah, I can do it. So Visual Studio Code, our vision was to take what was best out of IDE world, which is like your Visual Studio, Eclipse, IntelliJ products, and bring what was best from the lightweight editor world, which we're describing like Sublime Text, Notepad++, Atom, and merge those two together. So we wanted the, the lightweight features from, from text editors with the IntelliSense, the code navigation, in the debugging capabilities that people had in Visual Studio and Eclipse so that we, we merged those together. And we've been going for two years now. We did general availability last year. So we've been mm-hmm. about um, stable for a year, I guess, is the way to look at it. Yeah. Nice. Another key thing to add there is we're cross-platform as well. Mm-hmm. So not only Windows, but Mac and Linux users, you're most welcome to. Yeah. yeah, we keep hearing about Visual Studio for Mac, and this is Visual Studio Code. Yes for Mac or Linux or Windows. If you want to know more about how it's built, because it's also built in Electron with TypeScript, I believe, or yeah. JavaScript. Yeah, that's right, TypeScript. And so if you want to hear more about that, we've interviewed Chris Diaz twice. Once we had him on with Eric Gamma, and the other time it was just him, like I said, at Connect. And then we talked to Wade. And so this is our fourth or fifth interview about this. So if you want all those details, go listen to that. We're just going to talk a little bit more, I think, about what's going on with it now, what's new with it, how you kind of envision people using it with the new things that are coming out and that sort of thing. Does that work for you guys? Yeah. Sure. So first off, I'm, I'm a little bit curious, like what are your roles on the team? Is it just kind of developer and everybody touches everything or do you have particular parts that each of you work on? Yeah, we're, we're a pretty small team, so lots of us wear different hats, but 
my title is I'm a program manager, so I tend to do um, some more non-developer things, and Ramya is an engineer on the team, so she gets a lot more coding done than I do. Then we like her more. Yeah. <laughs> I do too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, as far as does everybody get to play in different areas, everybody has a key area to own, but nothing stops them from going into another area and, say, fixing a bug here and there. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, we try to share knowledge as much as possible between people, but then you always have that one uh, key owner that you can always go to, you know, the go-to person in that area. Right. Like, for example, uh, it could be about snippets or there's one person for extensions. So, so, so what area out. are you on? So I started out, uh, I'm a most, more recent addition to the team, and I started out maintaining the Go extension for Visual Studio Code. So for quite some time, I've been uh, maintaining and adding features uh, to the Go extension. And slowly, I'm branching out to the Emmet features of the product. I don't know if you've heard. So if you've been doing web development, HTML, CSS, Emmet, or Zen coding, I believe it used to be previously called, is something that is a must-have tool for you. You can write, say, abbreviations, and that expands to really huge HTML. You can have oh. HTML shortcuts to do, say, update tag, merge lines, rename tags, and, and a lot of HTML and CSS goodness. So is that the type of thing where it looks like you're typing CSS, and then you hit tab, and then it yes. fills out? OK. That's exactly what it is. So it, takes, it makes use of your selector knowledge, the jQuery selector mm -hmm. or the CSS selectors, and you can use that to write HTML. So that's just one of the features of Emmet. And Sergey uh, actually uh, wrote the library. Uh, we have an inbuilt um, integration in the product, so I'm, I'm currently working on that, trying to make use of newer APIs and giving more goodness to people. Super cool. So one question I have about that feature, and then mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about what's new in Visual Studio Code. Let's say that I have sort of a, a repeated type of code snippet, so maybe I need to add a class name, or you know, in HTML, you know, I need to add like title name or something else, and. You know, and then I add the same thing again somewhere else, and so I need some other text inserted in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. So I can just, when I insert it, then I can go through those parts. Does it make it easy to just kind of go to the parts I need to customize for that HTML? In, in the case that you're talking about, I think what would more help you is the multi-cursor uh, feature that we have. So have you used multi-cursors? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So. I'm an Emacs user. and Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. so a have, handy thing. Yeah, we have a multi-cursor support in Visual Studio Code as well. So you could place your cursor in different positions and then simultaneously edit things. But Emmet is more of when you're writing HTML from scratch. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Emmet expansions, at right. least. So yeah, that's that. You're making me happy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> These are all features that I just I, I really use all the time in my own development, typically with Emacs, just because Depending on the situation, a lot of times all I have is the command line. Mm -hmm. And so having a command line tool level tool like Emacs is kind of a nice way to go. But yeah. I think one thing you might like is there's this feature on Emmet saying uh, go to the next edit point. Uh huh. So then you keep using that command bind to uh, have a shortcut for that. And then it keeps going to the next open tag, next empty attribute, next oh, so nice. on and so forth. So you could. That might make you happy. You should yes. check out Emmet. I should. Yeah. Definitely should. Is it an extension, or does it come with it? So right now, it's inbuilt. But if you want to know more about Emmet features, you can go to, I think, emmet.io. Mm -hmm. And that has all the documentation that you need to learn about Emmet features. And that's just inbuilt. 
in uh, Visual Studio Code right now. We are looking at making into an extension so that it's a little bit, we pull it out of the main code and maybe more people can contribute mm -hmm. and make it even more better. How do, nice. How do you spell Emmet? E-double-M-E-T. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's dive into what's new in Visual Studio Code. We talked to Chris, I said, in November. So what's happened since then? One of our main pillars for this year is to improve performance of the product. So as we've grown uh, a larger team and we're having a lot more productivity, last we talked at Build, uh, last a year ago, um, our team was about half the size it is now. So we've hired a lot of engineers in Redmond and really doubled the team size. So it's, it's led to, we're, we're adding a lot more features. We kind of had a few months leading up to Connect where we're adding new things every month. And the last few months has been, how can we get some stability on the issues coming in, make sure we're reducing our tech load, and really keep to those core principles that we started with at the beginning, which was we want a fast, lightweight editor that's really responsive, and then you can add these other features in. So this is where Emmet comes in. Does it make mm -hmm. sense to pull that out of the product and have you just install that as right. an extension? That's probably the overall strategy of what we've done in the last few months. Maybe you can help me think of a specific feature that's been new. I think there's one thing that you did, assuming it's post-November, the key map work that you did. Oh, yeah, you that's good You can talk about one. that. Yeah, so one of the things I've been invested in is trying to understand people, w when they come from a different product to VS Code, how can we make that easier for them? And one of the barriers is you learn key bindings in, e uh -huh. in Emacs or you learn it in Visual Studio or Sublime Text. And when you come to VS Code, hey, we have our own key, key bindings, so you have to learn these new key bindings. So what we did is we built a few extensions that are, we, we call them key map extensions, and they are just a, a, a mapping of, okay, you learn these sublime text key bindings, now when you come to VS Code, you don't have to relearn any key bindings, you just use your sublime text key bindings. Right, I've actually used that, the Emacs key bindings with Visual Studio Code, and they work really well. Did it work for you? Oh okay. yeah, it's nice because like, I don't even think about it. If I'm editing a text file in, like, Notepad, because I've moved my development environment from Mac to Windows, and you know, it hasn't been completely seamless, but, yeah, Control-S just, it, it doesn't flow for me, right? I want to Control-X, Control-S, or, you know, right. Control-C, Control-F to open a file, and, yeah, all of that has worked flawlessly for me. So at least the common themes for Emacs have worked great for me over the last few months. So that's been really nice. One, one other additional one I thought of, too, is as we're thinking people coming from other products, but also people just coming, maybe they're new to coding, and this is a new product for them. They've never, they're not sure how to become accustomed to the different features. We built this welcome page. So when you're brand new to VS Code, you'll see this welcome page. And it will show you, it, think of it like an onboarding experience for a mobile app, something where you can flip through and see the features really briefly. Mm -hmm. we, we're, we're trying to see if we can make that even better, but this was our first attempt of, can we help people, new users to our product, have a better experience in getting going? Yeah, and in that welcome page, one of the key things is an interactive playground. So even before you have your own code, maybe you can go to the playground and you know play with the existing code that there are different sections. Hey, try this out. And then there's a small section where you can actually try it out. So we hope nice. that helps people. Yeah, a lot of what we put in there too was interesting. So multi-cursor, which you're familiar with and AJ is probably familiar with too, we, we think that feature is really handy. And a lot of especially experienced devs are like, oh, I can't live without that. 
other users weren't finding it. And we, so we had to really try to educate them. And so in that interactive playground, that's the first feature we show you is, hey, here's this handy multi-cursor feature. This is how you use it. So we kind of bottled up, here's a dozen or so features that if you know these, we think you'll have a good experience mm -hmm. with the product. Right. I think another fun thing that we recently did was uh, workbench theming. So um, you can write extensions, you can change the theme of VS Code and everything, but it was restricted to the editor uh, and not the rest of the workbench. Mm -hmm. So that's been opened up. Yeah. So people are having fun with so that. What, one of the, this is probably a good discussion point too. One of the things we did, we, we took that was different than say Atom, for example, is right. we were more restrictive in our extension API. And we did that with the initial principle was we wanted people to have a consistent experience no matter what extension they installed. Right. When we talked to Atom users, they had felt like, oh, I just don't know the quality of these extensions. They could really bog down my editor. We took a different approach where we said, we're going to be pretty tight there and then we'll slowly open it up as, in a controlled way. So that's what we've done here with Workbench theming. And I think that'll be a thing you'll see in the coming months as we'll start to see if there's other ways we can open up the extension API. So I could set up like a Legend of Zelda theme and it would do cool stuff with the layout yeah, yeah, and the colors, colors and, and things. Yeah, you background could images and stuff. Yeah, yeah nice. you could do that. One thing I saw in the presentation, the keynote today, was they're using XTermJS in the web browser for setting up Azure to be able to do bash and stuff. And I know that one of the features that you've added in uh, Visual Studio Code is to have the little bash thing. And I saw on the Xterm website that that's what you're using in Visual Studio Code. Do you have any, do you understand how that's working or what that implementation has been like? Yeah, it's, it's a shame we didn't get uh, Daniel to come. Daniel's another engineer that's here with us today. And he was, if not the largest contributor, a main contributor to the XTermJS project. And was the, he built the integrated terminal for VS Code. So I can't speak to the internals of how that works, but he was heavily involved in both of those in, in that project and then in bringing it to VS Code. So my next natural question out of this is, are we going to start seeing VS Code integrated into web experiences with other Microsoft products? That's, that's a good question. So if you go back to the very beginning of VS Code, that's actually where we started. We were a Monaco, it was the Monaco editor, and we were this, this uh, cloud-based editing experience. And then oh, yeah. when Electron came out, and we did that, and it was fine, and we were getting people to use it, but we were only getting Microsoft people to use it, right? People right. that were already using our products. And when Electron came out, we saw an opportunity of, hey, here's we could port this Monaco editor to Electron, and we could then run it on Mac and Linux, kind of reach people that traditionally aren't Microsoft customers. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting question, because it kind of would actually just be going full circle and going back to what we've already done. That well, that's, that's the intelligent, you, intelligent edge, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, there's, there's no uh, specific plans I can speak to today of plans to do that. Uh, definitely we're keeping our, our eye on if that makes sense. There was some like, serious like, network lagging and things that were difficult, and we really felt like a desktop running it on your machine and not in the cloud ended up being better for most people's editing experience. But you may have seen, what's the product, SourceGraph? Yeah. Sourcegraph, they recently forked or, v or are using VS Code for their product um, as well. So they, it's a read-only experience, but they're using VS Code and all the... It actually looks a lot like VS Code in the browser. Interesting. I, yeah, to AJ's point, I mean, 
my 11-year-old has been doing school at home, and so we bought him a Chromebook. And so you can't install Visual Studio yeah. Code on a Chromebook. So, you know, that, that experience even, well, I guess if it was a terrible and slow and awful experience, maybe not, but it would be really interesting to see something like that in the cloud where it's, okay, here's your coding experience. And I know that Tim Caswell, we've had him on the show to talk about his solution to this, but it'd be really interesting to see, oh, okay, I can actually do Visual Studio Code stuff in the cloud, you know, wherever well, I'm at. It's a good I'm, point. Yeah. I'm not even thinking, like, in the cloud as in remote, but in the browser. Yeah. You know, I think, I think like, for example, the, the case so of... So just serve it locally? Well, or... The, yeah, I mean, it could serve it locally. I mean, that's it's, that's essentially what Electron's yeah. doing. But in the case of something like the Azure platform, I mean, uh -huh. all of your stuff is is you know it's running. Where where is it really running? Well, it's really running on your computer. Yeah. But you have access to some additional things that are remote that you're able to modify. I mean, I don't I don't think of it like editing code mm -hmm. remotely as much like. Right. I SSH into a machine and I edit code remotely. Right. Uh, speaking to that, I think if you go to the portal for Azure and you know, say you've uh, deployed a website, uh, I think there is a provision where you can, in the browser, edit some of the files over there, and that uh -huh. is using Monaco yeah, uh, behind the Monica. scenes. That is okay. one example. Uh, another case is um, if you're using VSTS, that's Visual Studio Team Services, uh -huh. and you can open the, what do you call it? You can open it on the browser, you can browse through your code, and what you see there is Monaco as well. You can edit it online, mm -hmm. and that's Monaco as well. So, so are, are these... Two separate code bases that have forked, or are they staying in, in line with each other? That's a good question. Monaco code base is reused in Visual Studio Code, as far as I know. The, that was the impression that I got talking yes. to Chris as well. Yeah. We, we, I don't think we maintain two separate folks, because then that would be a maintenance nightmare for us. Yeah, yeah I'm um, not sure where the stream, like, somewhere the stream separates and comes back, and I, we, like, we have two engineers on the team that do check on the Monaco code base, and I don't know if they're pulling stuff of what we're doing in VS Code. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. Well, my understanding is, is that Monaco is like syntax highlighting and code editing and things like that. And then a lot of the other user features that, that kind of go into U, a UI like Visual Studio Code. Those like come Intelligence. Out, yeah, those, those come out of other things. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, and so, that and so right. Monaco is just kind of the basic, yes. here's your code editor, you, you, know, you get the highlighting, you get the, the basic features that allow you to edit the code. And then all of the other stuff. So, you know, your tray on the side with your folders and all of yep. that stuff. Those are all from the workbench. That, that, yeah. Yes. yeah. That's all built around it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sense. So, we're saying Visual Studio Code is the shell integration with the operating system or the, the Chrome of the, the application. Yeah. And it's just very richly featured and very nice to use. Okay. So, I have two things that I want to go into. And I think I'm going to head, hit the performance thing on the head again. So you mentioned, you know, we're looking at it, okay, what do we pull out, what do we keep in, but are there other performance uh, things that you've done, things that you've looked at and said, oh, okay, if we write this code this way, then it makes it faster, or, you know, if we, how, how much of it is refactoring versus actually saying, you know what, not everybody wants this, we're going to pull it out so it doesn't have execution cycles. 
how do you actually optimize performance on something like Electron versus like for the browser? So taking one step back, one thing that we did recently was add an ability to calculate the startup time. Mm -hmm. Say, uh, there's for Visual Studio Code. Yeah, so okay. that you can run Visual Studio Code with certain flags, and and you the startup time shows up. Mm -hmm. So that was one of one of the things we did because sometimes we heard users saying that it's really slow. Mm -hmm. um, it takes like five seconds, and then we wonder why because. For everybody else, it's like just one right. second or something. Works on my machine. Works on my machine. It's kind of a first step of, can we get a baseline, start yeah. to diagnose yeah. where so we're So that was one things. of our first steps to get more information from the user's side. Uh, you can get a profile of, mm -hmm. you know, how what things are running, which part of the process took how much time, and so on and so forth. So with that information in hand, uh, then one of our engineers in, in the Zurich team, actually, uh, he works closely with the Electron uh, usage in uh, in, in our product, so that's the information he's been using to identify which area needs more work, um, where are we spending more time, mm -hmm. and, and so on and so forth. So we're using telemetry for that at the moment. As to the rest of your question, personally, I can't answer because I don't work the, in that area. The, there's a few things going on. Is we we need to identify. What, what are the things people are doing that it's causing the editor to slow down? So one mm -hmm. example is you open a large file and things get laggy there. Now we can take a set of strategies to try to fix that. And right now, we're uh, so for example, we could say, okay, this is the large file. We're only going to load a portion of it that's viewable in the viewport. Um, and we're only going to syntax highlight that. And as you scroll, we'll start to syntax highlight and load the right. rest of it. So just kind of this lazy loading approach. Mm -hmm. That would be one approach to say, that's the use case. This is how we're going to speed it up. So probably right now we're in this process of, can we catalog these? Can we then prioritize these as how big of a problem it is? And then start knocking them out um, right. is probably where we're at. Another exercise we did was uh, we looked at all of our uh, extension APIs. Uh, to see um, which one of those could uh, maybe a malicious extension uh, abuse. Mm -hmm. Say, for example, you have the API where an extension can give you all the suggestion items, completion items, which you see in IntelliSense, right. right? Is there any way that can be overloaded? So that was one exercise we did recently to just you know make sure we've covered all our bases. There are checkpoints in place to. Mm -hmm avoid certain situations. But apart from that, I think this uh, one of our other teammates could talk to more on that. Right. There was a decent Hacker News thread, it's probably six months ago now, and it, the discussion was, what's the difference between VS Code and Atom speed-wise? And, and uh -huh. Atom, Atom is a great product, and they've done a lot to improve their performance. But I thought one of the comments that someone chimed in that made a lot of sense from the Zurich team is he said, there's nothing magic that VS Code has done, and this gets to what are we going to do. It's just strict engineering discipline. It's just uh -huh. very like, are we using good data structures? Are we managing our memory properly? Are we, are we right. removing stuff we don't need anymore? And that's really, it comes down to just those little things you learn from basic textbooks that have been around for decades and decades about how to write good code. That's what we have been doing, and that's what we'll continue to try to do yeah. um, to try to improve the performance. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know. 
or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Yeah, one other thing with performance is I tend to notice that there are about two or three levels of performance, right? And so you've, you've talked about, oh, well, the editor's slow. And that's one level, right, where it actually interrupts my flow because of the speed, right? And then there's the other level of performance where it's fast enough to where it doesn't interrupt my flow, but if it were faster, I could go faster, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I don't know if I necessarily always notice those. And so I wonder sometimes if you evaluate things and say, you know what, this is something that, you know, if it were a little bit faster, would just get further out of people's way. No, it's it's definitely like this is the pillar. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. The, mm -hmm. the startup time that even like how how fast are we in just key presses? Is, is right. that showing up quickly? Those are all the things when I said we need to catalog those. That's what we're doing is trying to understand what are the user stories and how can we then go and start to fix those in the right, most efficient way possible. Right. So in the work that I've done, I've done a lot of work on ARM with Node. And VM compile time is horrendously slow. And if you ever, if you load Indiegogo.com on the iPhone and Chrome, where it's not necessarily using the same native engine, or maybe they switched that over in iOS 9, but like the page takes forever to load. It downloads 1.3 megabytes of Angular and modules and da 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 da. And then it VM compiles it. So it's not the bandwidth that's slowing you down when you load that page, it's actually the VM compile time. And I don't know if you really get that problem on a, on a desktop, but when you're talking about like modules and extensions, the first thing I'm thinking is with the work I've done in Node on ARM, oh my goodness, like if you try to you know, just use require, it'll, it'll, it'll take seconds for something to open. Yeah. Do you have that problem at all on, on the desktop? Are you lazily loading the modules or do all the modules just load at once? That's a good question that I don't know the answer to. We definitely don't load everything at, yeah. at once. Uh, different parts of the editor is, is loaded differently. Like one personal experience I can say, but since I was talking about Emmet, Emmet library itself, you know, you do the required, like we don't do it at the first load. We do it when we notice the user wants to use Emmet. So the first time you say, you're an HTML file, you type something tab, that's when we load Emmet for the first mm -hmm. time. We, we don't try to load that whole library in the very beginning and then delay the whole process. That's like one example I can give. So that's a good so example. So I'm guessing the VM compile time on desktop is noticeable too then for things like Emmet. Yeah, if you if you would wait for all, all of the modules to load, then definitely there would be issues. Yeah. Okay. We try to lazy load as much as possible. Even the extensions, for example, right? We have a separate process called extension hosts that takes care of loading all the extensions. Whether the extensions are completed loading or not does not stop you from typing in a file. That's good. Mm -hmm. So oh. it's independent. <laughs> there, there are so many apps these days that are built with... Uh, well, it, it, the, the problem is, is this, this mobile-first, cloud-first world that we're in. People don't design for, I'm not in San Francisco on a high-speed connection. So like I go to open up my Gmail app on my phone, 
and you know here at the conference it takes forever because it's trying to ping all the servers and everything yeah. and, and all that it's yeah. it's nice when you can get to the point of doing some action yes. typing or whatever without having everything loaded yeah it doesn't I, block you i, I think yeah. that was one of the major design decisions the team did way way back that we don't want say extensions to bog down the very basic features of an editor you know opening mm -hmm. a file saving a file scrolling you know and and other basic things that you do for which you don't need any extensions to begin right. with it's just simple editor it's like even notepad can do that so simple actions shouldn't be bogged down by fancy actions yeah if to say it simply amen yep absolutely yeah. so what what's coming next in visual studio code <laughs> Probably just Lots gave of way to look. Yeah. <laughs> what it, can you tell us? Yeah. <laughs> We've got well, a light here. I'm shining it I'm, on it. I'm well, trying to think what, what we've on made that note, uh, What can you tell us? I'd like to point out that uh, we are as transparent as possible. Every uh -huh. month when we plan our iteration, we create a iteration draft plan and we put it out there for, for people to see. So there's no secrets or such in, in our plans. Our roadmap even are every three months, six months, three yeah, months? Yeah, so we have these pillars for our yeah. roadmap and then each month we plan for that iteration. So, we so run when on, you say pillars, what do you mean? Uh, pillars like, I, I'm using it in the sense of like a, a category of work that we think is important. Okay. So performance is a pillar. Uh -huh. It's like like uh, performance and then helping people get started. Those are probably the two top of mind for most of us. Those are two pillars that we work on iteration after iteration. And then each month we kind of figure out what's the most important thing to do for that month. Right. So what's coming next? What is our May plan show? I, I, I can't remember all the, all the details, but that's, that's what's coming next. It'll be something within either performance or helping people get started. And then there's a few hits, base hits we're doing in some of these extensions too. Um, Is that Go, uh, something I can look up on my phone? Yes. Yeah. So there are two things you can look up. Uh, when you go to uh, github.com, Microsoft slash VS Code, uh, look for the label iteration plan or iteration plan draft. So that's the current work that we are doing that month. And also in the wiki on that GitHub repo, I think there's a page called Roadmap. So that talks about, hey, what do we think about the next three months, next four months, and uh, so on and so forth. But I think one exciting thing that we are currently looking into, we're in the exploration stage, is the multi-root workspace. Yeah, that's good one. That's Yay, good. that's a good feature to talk about. Yeah. So, <laughs> so right now in VS Code, you can open a folder. Yes. Right? You cannot open multiple folders. Yeah, because you have to have multiple VS Code instances yeah. open. Yeah. So uh, we've gotten feedback that, hey, we'd like to open two separate folders which do not have the same ancestor, like, you know, right, not right, with right. a single root. So that's what our multi-root workspace is something that uh, uh, two people in our team are currently looking into. So looking into what would take uh, to you know get there and what are the challenges we have to see and so on so that's the current hot exploration that's going on we chuck's looking up the iteration plan and another thing you can see of where we're going is you can look at the issues and then sort by most uh comments and that's a good indication of we want to what people want we want to try to build so this multi-root workspace is one that's really high on there i think that is number mm -hmm. one actually right now and then a second one that is a monster issue right now is just little paper cuts around formatting and auto indenting just things to make your code prettier oh. we have some solutions there but this issue was just some 
corner, it's just a whole bunch of corner cases put together and there's the thing like, you'll die by a million paper cuts. So that's one issue I think we'll probably really start to dive into and try to solve. There's a, a problem with a comma first that it can't fold functions, I think. Oh yeah, that might be a good one for the formatting. We, probably... we call that our formatting monster issue. Just a whole bunch of different little things. Yeah, we've got a developer that started working on some of the code and he went and changed all the commas. I'm not sure if he was actually using VS Code at that moment or if he was using Sublime or what he was using. It looked like VS Code from over the shoulder, but <laughs> you know, they all kind of look similar until you start digging in. What did he change the commas to? Comma last. Okay. Oh, so I, I do comma I'm first kidding. for alignment for human parsing. Oh, okay, because okay, like okay. as a human, you can tell if a comma first is missing, but you can't tell if a comma last is missing without actually, because you know, it's the alignment yes. and your eye has to track and trace. Yes. Yeah. So I've, I've always been a comma first person because it just is easier to read and catch mistakes sooner. But computers don't always like comma first. Yeah. Got to find the balance that's both beneficial to humans and computers. I mean, just uh, digressing a bit since we are talking about commas, uh, I think the Go language has an uh, interesting spec there. There, when you, like, say, uh, I think when you create an object, uh, you always have to have a last comma at the end after the last item as well. So oh, you if, do? Yeah. That's interesting. That's one of the weird things I found when I first started working with the Go extension. You, you, so if you have three items in the, in the array or... I, I'm sure miss, pissing some Go users out there, but sorry if I'm getting any of this wrong, but I do know that if there are three items, you need to have three commas. Um, I think I think that's good. And, and JavaScript can work that way, except that sometimes you get undefined elements. So if you uh, do that in an array, you'll get undefined elements. Mm -hmm. If you get that, if you do that in an object, it'll complain if you're trying to use it as JSON, but it'll be fine if you're not. So there's like all these edge cases. Yeah. So I, when, when it comes to the point where it's like, learn these seven simple rules and you'll never get it wrong or just like put the freaking comments and we go in there I put it there every time yeah that makes sense so uh yeah wade helped me find the iteration plan i didn't see anything in here that i was dying to ask questions about but i will point out um i didn't realize it was under issues so if you do issues and then the tag is iteration dash yes plan. yeah that's right so everything is an issue <laughs> boy isn't that the truth anyway so <laughs> So you're going to ship in early June. Do you do you do iteration plans just like will we see another one before this release of this particular iteration plan? So currently we just shipped the April iteration like mm -hmm. a week ago. Yeah. So currently what you're seeing is the May iteration plan right. and then say four weeks from now you may see a draft for the June one. Nice. So we, by the time we run we on end, monthly sprints. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Okay. That makes sense. You usually do uh, three weeks of debt dev work, we do a week of release, and then we do a week of debt work on the end. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's worked out. It's a good cadence for us. M monthly release cycle has worked out well. Yeah, we call the fourth week the end game. End game, yeah. Mm -hmm. nice. nice. Well, is there anything else that we should talk about related to Visual Studio Code that we haven't covered? or? No, if you haven't tried it, give it a try, and um, we'd love to hear your feedback. So just trying to make it awesome. Yeah, and uh, we're open for, you can reach us at Twitter, tweet yeah. us at, at code. I we love have, that Twitter handle. It is awesome. Yeah, we saw, we're lucky to have gotten it. 
What else? We have our GitHub repo. Take a look at that. If you have any issues or problems, yeah, you the, can log the it entire there. team, we all spend a ton of time working through those issues and talking yes, to customers do. every day. So yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's an important part of our development is always talking to people, to our users. So. That's an interesting uh, thing for me when I joined this team. That what I found was different is I'm no longer just a developer. Mm -hmm. I am a developer, I'm a tester, I'm the person talking to the customer, customer support, yeah. I'm customer support yeah, and, right. and, and everything. And I initially thought, that's insane. Uh, I might be getting randomized all the time, but it is so much fun. Uh, the fact that you get to see feedback right then and there. You get to talk to people who use your product and, well, that's the dream for me. That's so, awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And just to clarify a couple of points, you can get it at code.visualstudio.com. Yep. And it is free. Yep. So there's no reason to not try it. Yeah, at least try it. Download it. Yeah, it's free. It it's lightweight. It's cross-platform. Mm -hmm. I can go on. Yep. <laughs> it, it Rami has got a little sparkle in her eye right now. <laughs> yeah. So glowing. Big smile. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I like about it is basically that it has everything that I like about the text editor that I typically use with the features that I like from the IDE without totally bogging me down with all the extra stuff. Yeah. So So I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, which is a problem that I've had. You use Emacs because sometimes that's all that's available on the machine that you're doing work on. Now this morning, what I saw with the Azure Stack stuff and, and Visual Studio, not Visual Studio code, was that there's more integrations in like here's where the code's actually running, and I'm going to debug it where it's actually running, and I'm going to work on it where it's actually running. Is there any roadmap stuff in Visual Studio Code for, like, I mean, I would, I would imagine a lot of the types of people that are doing Visual Studio Code are the types of people that are developing uh, their little home server on a Raspberry Pi or something like that. A, a way to, like, make it so I don't have to use Vim, that I could use Visual Studio Code for all the things that I want to do. There's definitely some explorations around there. And our colleague, uh, Chris Diaz, who you guys mm -hmm. have talked to before, he just uh, probably just finished his session presentation showing how you can use VS Code with containers. And we're pretty interested in, in how containers, where you can, you can take not only your code base, but also your runtime environment and how those can work well together. And I, I think that's closely related where it's like, okay, well, the runtime environment is in production. And is that the same as where my code editor is living? There's no hard plans there right now, but definitely we're, we're interested in it. We're, we're trying to see where where VS Code can play in, in that space. Yeah, anybody who's interested in that area, do check out the uh, Docker extension we have. And yeah, I that's think right. there's also a few videos out there. I think one was from Docker last year where they showed debugging, say, uh, a simple application, a node application. It's deployed in a Docker container out there, and you can debug it using Visual Studio Code. Mm -hmm. They did use Visual Studio Code to do that. So as long as you have the setup, you set up all the ports correctly, you can debug containers. Yeah, I think they showed that off at Microsoft Connect last year, yeah, too. Yeah, that's so right. Yes. Wanna... Chris has been doing that a lot. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember if it was Chris or Scott Hanselman, but one of them showed it off. Yeah. And okay. so if you want to check that out, too, I'm pretty sure the talks are available online. Yeah. Now, we're running out of time on our room, so I'm going to push us toward the last segment of our show, which is picks. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind? 
or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in JavaScript. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got JavaScript Jabber all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've created a Slack community for JavaScript Jabber. That means that you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at javascriptjabber.com slash slack. I'm going to make AJ go first, and then I'll go, and then we'll let you two go. Okay. So I'm pretty sure I've already picked Breath of the Wild on the show before, but I could pick that every day all day long. In fact, sometimes I pick it a little too much, and then I have to put it down. Or, fortunately, the battery will run out, and I realize that I've definitely been playing it too long. But, uh, you um, need to tell me what Breath of the Wild is. Yes. So Nintendo has Zelda and they've they've done lots of different styles of Zelda over the years and I'm I'm told by other people that this one is similar to Skyrim so if people are I don't know if that's PC gamer master race or Xbox or PlayStation or what PC that is game. I think you can play it on Xbox too yeah. okay I cuz I I don't I'm not a gamer at all I am a Nintendo person I think there's a distinction between Nintendo people and gamers gamers might have a Nintendo but a Nintendo person probably doesn't have anything else mm -hmm. Anyway, it's, it's their latest Zelda game, and it just takes elements from the other Zelda games that worked really well, as, as well as elements I've seen in other people in the, when I've been exposed to them playing games, and, and brings it all into this just incredibly addictive, huge open world where you can explore and you have objectives, but the annoying thing is on the way to one, you're going to find ten more, and it's just... It's, it's seriously one of the best games I've ever played. So I'll pick that. And then I'm going to pick Build. I, I, I love the, the keynote this morning. Saw a lot of cool stuff. I, I made reference earlier to some joke about the intelligent edge, but I actually really like Microsoft's idea about the intelligent edge, meaning that you get rid of the idea of the cloud. It's you're running code, and that code runs anywhere. It might run on the client. It might run on a hybrid cloud system, internal, external, on Azure, whatever. I think that's really cool. Nice. I'm going to jump in and pick a couple of things. The first one that I'm going to pick is just a game I've been playing on my phone. It's called Boom Beach. If you play Clash of Clans, it's made by the same folks. Just a fun way to kill about five minutes at a time while you go take over another island. But yeah, I've been enjoying that. And then I've been using a system called Blue Tick to follow up with people. It's in beta. If you go to bluetick.io, you can sign up to basically get a demo. You can't get a sign up unless, unless you talk to Mike, who's the guy that's putting it together. And I've known Mike for a few years, but I've used, I can't even tell you how many CRMs over the last year, and none of them do what I want. I was going to say they all suck, but they probably work for some people, just not for me. But anyway, so it's basically a follow-up system, hooks into your Gmail account, and I have been super, super happy with it. So, yeah, that said, I just I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, it integrates with Zapier. So a lot of the stuff that you would wind up doing as far as automating people into sequences or workflows and out of sequences or workflows, you wind up doing with Zapier. And so it works out pretty well. And I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And then, yeah, I'm going to pick the, the Emacs key bindings extension for Visual Studio Code because 
it worked for me. I mean, you know, some of the plugins I have for Emacs, you know, obviously those key bindings don't exist in the plugin, but you know, the really basic ones do. And yeah, all that muscle memory, it just, it, it just doesn't interrupt my flow when I use it. And that's a, a nice thing for me. So Wade, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I've got I've got one. So I really like to read books. And so I've been, as I've moved a few times over the years, you just lug around these huge cases of books, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. And so this Christmas, I finally pulled the trigger and jumped on the Kindle bandwagon. So mm. I got a Kindle Paperwhite. And I'll tell you, I have been so impressed with the product. Like, it took me a long time because I, I knew I would like it because I wouldn't have to carry around the books, but I always loved the books, you know, like it, yeah. it, they just feel good. And, and there's just something about reading a real book. But they've done a really good job at Amazon and building this Kindle. And the thing that I was most surprised of that's helped me the most is it's really easy on my eyes. So that was why I liked reading books before, right. not on my phone or on, a, on my iPad. But so I've, I'm like a total convert to Kindle Paperwhite being a great way. I would say it's 90% there of covering like the feel and, and things you love about a paperback or a hardbound too. I mean, it's, it's skinny and stuff, so you don't get exactly the same tactile experience. But the eyes, it was really good, just really nice and easy on my eyes. So I'll pick the Kindle Paperwhite. Nice. All right, Ramya, you got the idea? Yeah, I do. So I don't have any tools as such to speak about at the moment, but since you said something that makes your life easier slash happier slash mm -hmm. just goodness overall. You're just going to pick code again, aren't you? No. <laughs> so one thing about me is I am fairly new to open source uh -huh. as a whole. So before joining uh, Visual Studio Code, which was about, I think, nine months ago, I didn't do an iota of open source. Um, I just knew, oh, that's the cool thing that I should try, but I never did. After joining Visual Studio Code, after maintaining the Go, main, uh, Go extension, I just have to pick the whole open source community and the way things work as something that's, that's made me really happy. You know, this whole concept of working with perfect strangers to build something that somebody can use mm -hmm. is, I think that, that just blew my mind, even though I knew what it was, but when you actually get into it and you work with total strangers and, and, and get a good thing out there, that's, that's my pick. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. We're fans of open source here, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if people want to follow you guys on Twitter or, you know, kind of see what you're up to these days, I mean, are there good places to do that? A blog, like I said, Twitter. Twitter's good, yeah. Wait, Wade Ryan underscore is my handle. I don't know what Ramya says. Uh, mine is uh, Ramya Nexus. Do you want me to spell yeah, that Yeah, you out? should spell that. That's... R-A-M-Y-A-N-E-X-U-S. That and you can find me on GitHub. That's how you know what I'm doing. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming. Thanks um, for having us. I love digging into this stuff. It's really, really interesting. But yeah, and thank you for Visual Studio Code. I know a lot of people that use it and they love it. So thank you for having us. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.